Nothing you hear in this program constitutes investment advice. It is an expression of opinion only. This is Frisbees, Bulls and Bears. Talking money and markets. What's happening and why. We talk to the experts, the traders, the investors and the companies they're investing in. You're listening to Frisbees, Bulls and Bears with Dominic Frisbee. And welcome to Frisbee's Bulls and Bears with me, Dominic Frisbee. We're talking gold in today's programme and I'm talking to Marco Byrne. Mark is the Executive Director of Goldcore, which is an international bullion dealer. You can find out more about them at goldcore.com. And I'd also re- uh, recommend subscribing to the Goldcore blog. Mark puts out a, a market update every single day and uh, some of his observations are absolutely terrific. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting him in person back in July and uh, Mark, it's a pleasure to be talking to you now. So welcome to the show, Mark. Great. So thanks, Dominic. Great to talk to you again. Tell us, uh, what's, what's, I mean, we had a big boom in gold uh, in July and August. It probably got a little bit ahead of itself. It's now kind of retested the high and looks like very possibly it's putting in a, a double top. What, what, what's your take on, on gold at the moment? Yeah, well, as you said, it did definitely get ahead of itself. I mean, it had gone way, way above the 200-day moving average. And there was a lot of talk of, of it going uh, parabolic. And indeed, we ourselves said there was the possibility of go, going parabolic, as that, as that tends to happen towards the, the end or in the later phases of, of a bull market. Uh, so since then, we've had a, a bit of a correction. We got up to about 19.15. We're back down to 18.22 in terms of, of, of dollars. But we would feel this is another uh, short-term correction uh, and consolidation. We've seen many of these corrections in, in, in the bull market. And the bottom line is that gold is not actually going uh, up in value. What's happening is the dollar, the pound, the euro, all these fiat currencies are being debased. Uh, and we're seeing these currencies fall in, 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 in terms of the finite currency that is gold. And for that reason, we do believe that the, the long-term fundamentals remain very, very sound. Um we're talking on Tuesday morning. Uh, yesterday, in your Monday uh, update, you put out a note saying gold could sell off today, and lo and behold, it did by about fifty dollars. Um, why did you say that? Well, I suppose a combination of factors. One was that it was overbought in the short term. Uh, secondly, the technical traders uh, and the chaps on Wall Street, on the Comex, who are who are very much driven by uh, the, the short term movements, uh, price movements. So last week we had a lower close. It was the first lower close in a while, uh, and and you do tend to see see momentum uh, in the short term, uh, and you see follow through selling. So I think there's a combination of factors. One was that it it was lower last week, therefore that emboldened people to. Uh, but first of all, made people who were long slightly nervous, and they may have may have taken profits and, and moved their stop loss uh, orders slightly higher up, which could have resulted in in in, in further selling. And then some of the the, the people who are short the marketplace may be emboldened to further short the marketplace uh, and there was also talk of a, a official uh, intervention obviously we've seen official intervention in, in, in the currency markets with the, the Japanese intervening and, and selling yen and then we had the, the SNB last week pegging uh, the Swiss franc to the euro 
So there is talk that possibly there, there is some sort of intervention to go market, and uh, I mean it, it's very difficult to put your finger on that and, and to say definitively that that is happening. But there are there's rumours, and, and, and nothing more than that can be said uh, that, that there may have been some sort of capping of the gold price uh, uh, in, in in the last week or two weeks as well. What did you make about that huge sale of gold that came in five minutes before the announcement of the Swiss uh, Central Bank of the Swiss National Bank? Yeah, I mean the timing of it was was interesting to say the least, and uh, it definitely affected the mood of the market. And I, I think people, uh, the news was obviously very bullish because the, the Swiss franc is is you know the safe haven fiat currency in the world, and 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 people would trust the, the Swiss franc more than any other fiat currency. Uh, and therefore, uh, the fact that they are pegging their currency to the euro is, is is very very gold bullish. Um, and and therefore, yeah, that, that's why uh, certain people, quite quite astute observers who who have been observing the gold market for, for a long time and, and have called the gold market uh, better than most people, uh, suggested that there may have been some, some intervention uh, prior to the, the announcement from SNB and, and I think that is, it's not, not beyond the realms of poss- possibility by any means. Now, do you, have, do you kind of like to set annual targets? Do you have a kind of target that we, you think we'll reach before the end of the year? Well, yeah, at the start of the year, we actually said we believed it would reach 2000 um, and would close around the $1,800 mark. But we all always caution with what forecasts, you know, it's it's nearly impossible, particularly the nature of markets today and the volatility that we have in all markets, in stock markets, currency markets, and, and indeed in, 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 in the gold and silver markets. Um, so we did we, we said it could reach 2000 um, and, and we thought 1800 to close the year would, would be quite possible. Um, but our, 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 we're more about the long term and not getting in, into predictions of whether it be in the month or quarterly or, or annual. Uh, we do that because we take part in the Reuters Precious Metals Poll and the Bloomberg Gold Survey, so we, we almost have to do it. But what we always say is, is gold is, is money and it's, it's a form of currency and it's a safe haven asset in financial insurance. And therefore, it merits an allocation in, in nearly all portfolios. I, I think given in the climate we're living in today and the certainty that's in the world, everybody should have an allocation of, of I would say, 10% is, 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 is a good allocation and possibly more given in certain times we live in. But it is, it's such a cliche diversification. And, and, but we tend to pay lip service to it and, and, and talk about it and people don't tend to implement it and our pension funds and um, uh, most of our savings are very exposed to uh, in the UK, the UK clients will be very exposed obviously to sterling uh, today we've had announcements from the Bank of England's post and uh, basically talking about uh, QE and uh, more QE and quantitative easing and, uh, and, and, and it looks very likely that, that, that there will be more quantitative easing in the UK so therefore uh, as I said, if your savings are in sterling, if your pension fund, many, most of the pension funds are highly uh, allocated to uh, UK equities uh, and UK bonds, therefore it makes sense to have an allocation to gold. Um, so price-wise, as I said before, it's, it's not really that the gold has gone up in prices, the other, other currencies, uh, including sterling, are being devalued versus gold and be depreciated, and, and that's what happens uh, throughout history. Uh, over time, uh, currencies lose their value, and that's why you should have an allocation to gold. Let me uh, take the conversation away from gold for a moment. You're obviously based in Dublin. You've seen, uh, you've lived through the boom and uh, now you're living through the bust. Why don't you describe how things are in Ireland and, and some of the things that went on, how crazy things got? Yeah, well, things got very crazy. Um, I mean, the property bubble was just out of control and property prices were increasing 20, 25, 30% per annum for a large number of years. 
Uh, myself, as, as a young man, when, when, when I graduated from college, I bought an apartment uh, and uh, it trebled in value in about four years. And I actually studied history uh, and I knew, I said a lot of what I studied was actually financial and economic history and I knew straight away that this is a bubble. Uh, so I actually began selling property. But people, the media was just the consensus. It was very much her behavior and, and this mass mania, this uh, mass psychology took hold that you just kind of go wrong with property, you know. So everybody piled in, everybody had to get on the property ladder. The banks were loaning people 10, 10 times uh, their average industrial wage. Uh, two couples were, were getting out 10 times their salaries to, to buy uh, t- t- tiny little t- two-bedroom apartments and t- small three-bedroom houses, you know. So it was it was just absolutely, it was a classic uh, mania and bubble. And uh, and the few voices, we were one of the few companies that actually said, we had research from the OECD, from the IMF, and from the Bank of England, indeed, the stability reports from the Bank of England. And, and we clearly showed uh, through research that this is a bubble. But, but unfortunately, the media just did not want to hear what we had to say, and it was it was absolutely to do, you know. Uh, so unfortunately, we're, we're now living the the, the the downside of that, and we, and we have a bust, and uh, it's yeah, it's pretty tough out there. I mean, infla- our, uh, inflation hasn't really taken taken off that much um, just yet, but unemployment is at 15, 20 percent, um, and property prices have fallen from peak to trough. I'd say they're down probably 50 percent uh, officially. I think they're down 40 percent. Most people think they're down 50 percent. 60%. And long term, I, I think we, we said at the time that there was a possibility we could fall 90%, and, and that's what happened in Japan over a long period of time. And and uh, and I think, unfortunately, the same thing is, 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 is quite likely in Ireland. But what's happened, unfortunately, is uh, the response is actually making, compounding the problem, making it even worse, whereby uh, the taxpayers are being saddled with uh, the debts of the banks, and not just our banks, but also the uh, international banks, so the German banks, and the French banks, and the, the, the UK banks that lent to the Irish banks. Uh, and what's happened is that uh, people, there's a perception that uh, Ireland has been bailed out by by uh, international creditors um, and international governments, and it's far from the case. Basically, we've been given uh, loans at u- usurious interest rates uh, in order that, uh, and we have to pay back those loans, obviously. Uh, um, but w- what's happening is the Irish taxpayers are actually bailing out the French, the German, and the British banks that lent money irresponsibly to the Irish banks, who then lent money irresponsibly to the the Irish citizenry. So that's what's happening, and then there's a similar scenario throughout the world. I mean, taxpayers international are being saddled with, with, with the debts uh, that have been uh, basically irresponsibly incurred by, by the various banks. Um, so I think that there's uh, there's interesting parallels in the UK. I think uh, Ireland is almost uh, I think it could be a canary in the coal mine because I think Ireland uh, we have taken a lot of austerity and it's it's compounded the problem and made things uh, a hell of a lot worse because we were sort of taking austerity before everybody else was as well. Uh, and I think the UK, given the debt levels in the UK and and the fact that the property market there seems to be uh, possibly unfortunately heading into the, the, uh, a second uh, downward spiral and, and and we may see the a true face of a property crash over there in the coming months the, 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 there are parallels there with Ireland and, uh, and, and, and hopefully your government response will not be to, uh, to bail out the banks and to, to, to saddle taxpayers with, with the, the debts. Why doesn't Ireland just do what uh, Iceland did and just kind of give the foreign creditors the proverbial two fingers and just default? Uh, basically, well, two, two, two issues. one issue is uh, we're part of the eurozone, so the, the Iceland they had uh, the ability to to do that, and then uh, subsequently their currency devalued. Um, 
quite significantly, and they suffered uh, terribly with 15, 20 percent uh, uh, inflation for for a period of weeks and months. Um, but subsequently, they're they've actually co- co- they're back on track in Iceland, you know, and they've had a huge export boom again, and uh, and and things uh, things are recovering, thank God. In Ireland, I suppose if, because we're a member of the eurozone, and it's absolutely to do to to, to question that uh, both uh, on behalf of of uh, all the major government parties in Ireland, and indeed the 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 the, the, the the people in the IMF and the ECB it's, it's, and, and the European Union is just you can't even uh, discuss it, you know. So we don't really have that option. And but wh- why didn't we? I mean, we should have. Uh, in terms of uh, the bondholders, some of the, the bondholders sh- should have been burnt. Uh, it's, it's a bit of a cliche about talking about burning bondholders, but uh, if, if a bank takes a risk and, and and the risk doesn't pay off, then uh, and then occasionally they do have to suffer the consequences. Unfortunately, uh, we have created a massive moral hazard whereby banks don't seem to incur any risk and and, and, and there's the taxpayers who are continually uh, having to, uh, to, to 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 bail out the banks so yeah it's uh, it's it's just it's it's, it's unfortunate but it, as i said it, it it is almost a global phenomenon, you know, that, uh, and I do think what we did in Ireland is uh, interesting. We had one very, very uh, irresponsible bank. Most of our banks are irresponsible. One in particular called the infamous Anglo-Irish Bank. Uh, and the, the, the decision in Ireland was basically we're going to have one bad bank and we're going to put all the toxic loans into this one bad bank, Anglo-Irish Bank, and then get rid of that type of thing. And and, and it was a bad idea because the, the liabilities, there was huge liabilities in all the banks. And what we should have decided to do was to say, right, we want one strategic bank and we're going to protect that bank at all costs and then gradually wind down the worst bank and then the second worst bank and then the third worst bank. And then the deposits would have flown out of those bad banks into the, the better bank or the one good bank, the strategic a systemic bank, uh, and then uh, outside competitors from the UK and from elsewhere would have come in and competed with that bank, and, and we wouldn't have the problems that we have, the ongoing problems that we have with the financial system and banking system. And I do think that the, the, in the UK, I do think this similar problems could be seen in the coming years, and therefore the, the UK government should be looking to. I think the, the new legislation is looking at that to an extent, but I do think that they need to decide right. You cannot protect all your banks. You need to decide what what are the key banks that uh, that need to be protected. And and uh, and the same in France and in Germany. Less so in the UK in France, but in my, I think in France in particular right now we can see it massively. And uh, and in Germany as well. But even in 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 the UK, I mean the UK exposure to uh, Greek debt alone, uh, the UK banks hold 3.4 billion in, in Greek debt. You know, so there's a huge exposure there. Um, so I think that there's going to have to be some hard decisions made whereby uh, you decide what are your, your pillar banks, so to speak, you know, that are absolutely vital to the function of your economy and to giving credit to the businesses, which is absolutely fundamental uh, to, to all our economies to go forward. Uh, and, and you need to pick out two, three, four, this would be my advice, and I think, uh, I think it stands to reason, it's common sense, but uh, it's slowly entering the debate, but uh, it's not really on the agenda as much as it should be, to get the three, four key banks and then uh, gradually wind down the, the, the more toxic banks that you have, you know. So, yeah, there, there's definitely lessons, lessons for the UK and lessons for the world from, from what's happening in Ireland and what is happening in Ireland today. Okay, now, when I was in Dublin earlier in the year, um, I mean, central Dublin was, it seemed to be booming. The shops were crowded. I don't know if anyone was buying anything, but it did seem to be booming. Um, But then, and I said this to a taxi driver, and when he was driving me to the airport, he drove me through, you know, the ghost towns and the the huge blocks and the empty offices. Um, Are are there these kind of, you know, vacant buildings sitting all over the shop? 
And, and, and f following on from that, what's the kind of mood of the people? Is there a lot of anger? Basically, the mood of people is, is people are very, very angry at what's gone on. Um, but there is this dichotomy between, I suppose, the very centre of Dublin is booming, as you said. Um, it's a combination of there's still lots of tourists coming in. Um, there's still a lot of financial services. The professional classes in Ireland are still doing very well. And there's a lot of business, given what's happened, uh, a lot of business for, for lawyers and for solicitors, uh, for, for accountants and for the various professions. We also have a huge, uh, this, the public sector in Ireland is, is very, very large. And, and so the likes of uh, doctors and, and, uh, and teachers and, and uh, nurses and, and basically people who work in the public sector haven't taken that much uh, pain. So there is, uh, yeah, in, in the city centre itself, uh, things are in Dublin 2 and Dublin 4, in particular, in particular part, the, the very city centre and, and, and the south inner city, it is absolutely booming uh, and you would barely notice a session. But then if you go out, as you said, into the states, uh, out in the, in the suburbs or into the, the countryside itself, uh, it, it is very grim and unemployment is, is much higher than the national average. It could be 30, 40, 50 percent. In, in some of these areas and uh, there's little or no employment um, and people, a lot of people, a huge amount of people are in negative equity uh, and they just can't afford to pay the debts uh, that, that have been incurred, you know. Um, and there is, there's a lot of anger but at the same time people are quite passive. We haven't seen any of the, the, the civil unrest that we've seen in the UK. Uh, I know a lot of people say that that was uh, driven partly by hooliganism and, and there were a hardcore of, of, of people who were you know, just uh, joyriding, so to speak. But uh, I suppose there are fundamental socioeconomic reasons there as well. Um, um, and I think in Ireland, uh, the, the the people, there's anger, but it hasn't really manifested in any sort of great uh, uh, political action per se. And I, I think it's a little, it's, it's funny that the parallels that we see in, in whether it be North Africa and the Middle East and all the various revolutions that we're seeing, I think it's only when people actually find it hard to put uh, bread on the table. Uh, I, I, I don't remember statistics, but there's a statistic about a percentage disposable income that has to be spent on food. And once it goes over a certain level, uh, that people tend to become uh, unhappy and that's when you see uh, civil unrest and that. So we haven't seen that just yet, but I do think given the, 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 the serious nature of the crisis we have, I think it is quite, quite inevitable, unfortunately. I was just going to say that the, the riots in the UK, the riots in the Middle East were to do with putting food on the table and, you know, mm. they were politically motivated. The riots in the UK were not politically motivated. There was a different agenda there altogether. Yeah, and it was, it was a, a, a lot of kids just having a good time type of thing. You know, it, it wasn't about a genuine poverty or that, you know. Uh, but uh, That was about getting something for nothing. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. But at the same time, I do think there are, I mean, there are socioeconomic reasons uh, not for those rights per se, but but why uh, there is uh, you know, a lot of people who who are almost justifying what happened because they are very they feel disenfranchised and very uh, unhappy with what uh, government's re response to the crisis. But uh, I mean that's no justification for what went on. But um, I suppose my point is that at some stage you know austerity and, and what's happening can lead unfortunately to to civil unrest. And uh, I think what we're seeing in, in in the Middle East and that will be seen in in, in European countries and, and indeed in in the US in in the coming months and years unfortunately one thing i noticed in uh, in ireland is there was there was quite a lot of kind of guilt and also recognition from from a lot of people that you know things had just gone berserk and now they were paying the price for their for their folly if you like yeah i mean we did we lost the run of ourselves and as i said before it was a, a mass 
uh, mass mania, uh, huge hurt psychology, and, and there was a lot, a lot of greed, and, and people just, you know, they thought they could get rich from, from property, you know, and they were buying property, not just in Ireland, but in Bulgaria and all sorts of weird and wonderful places. So, yeah, and, and people, you know, people just spend building up huge credit card bills and uh, and, and basically financing lifestyles that they could could never afford. People were then taking equity when their house went up. They got a mortgage for say three hundred thousand, and then the house went up in value from three hundred thousand to four hundred thousand, uh, and then they would start taking equity out of that house to fund their lifestyle uh, and, and have uh, the, the the big holidays, and the women would be buying their shoes and handbags and all the rest of it. Uh, so yeah, people did lose the run themselves. And it was, uh, I suppose, the nexus of it was uh, a combination of the government were, were cheerleading the entire thing and saying, you know, this. Uh, our, our Taoiseach Bertie Hearn said the boom times are going to get boomer, is what he said. When when there were a few voices of sanity saying, well, hang on a second, here we're losing one of ourselves. They were dis- dismissed as doom and gloom merchants. And uh, the Taoiseach uh, Bertie Hearn actually said that uh, people like that, they're so negative, they should go and commit suicide. Was one of his, one of the famous remarks. And then the media as well. Unfortunately, the the, the Irish Times, as the paper record had. Uh, uh, they had a property supplement once a week. And I think at one stage it got up to around 60 pages uh, of, of, of basically a property supplement, mostly advertising. Um, so there was, a, there was a huge amount of vested interest, but the government were getting a huge amount of taxation from uh, the sale of property, from stamp duty and that, uh, and from the sale of <clears throat> so hardware and flooring and carpets and, and furniture and all, all the rest of the, the, the things that are needed to, to fit out a house. Uh, and then the, the, the media, whether it be the, the, print, in, the print industry, the, the radio and TV, uh, similarly, they were making a huge amount of money from advertising. And then the people themselves, they, they bought into I mean, some people genuinely, did, they felt they had to get on the property ladder because if, if they didn't buy the property soon, they were going to miss the boat and they would never be able to own their own family home. So there was a, a genuine, uh, you know, people who were genuinely trying to look after families and do the right thing financially and, and be prudent. But and but there was a speculative, uh, quite a large speculative intro, uh, element as well of, of people who thought that, that they could get rich through property. And this was the classic, you know, you know, buy to let uh, syndrome of people buying apartments left, right, and center. You know, so yeah, uh, the blame has to be uh, go around. You know, um, but I, I do think that the the governments. I mean, that they, they are uh, you know elected to represent the people, and, and there were uh, all sorts of, as I said, whether it be the IMF, OEC, all sorts of people were were issuing warnings as as early as 2005, 2006, and the government just completely chose to ignore them. You know, instead of trying to cool things down, which which is the job of governments and indeed central banks, they they egged it on and and, and they contributed to becoming massively overheated and and, and into a the huge spectral bubble that it became. Okay, um, Mark, I, I'm gonna uh, we're gonna I'm gonna draw to a close uh, in just a moment, but I just want to ask you, um, bringing the subject back to gold, what are your kind of long term targets? What, at what point will you sell your gold? At what point will you, you know, move on from being the executive director of Gold? <laughs> uh, well, I, I genuinely does a portion of my uh, gold holdings that I will never sell because I do see it as financial insurance uh, so it, it, it's, it's almost like a permanent holding, it's like owning car insurance or health insurance I don't really see it as, I don't see it as an investment and I don't see it as, I don't look at the price of it, you know, I look at in terms of ounces and I will always own a certain amount of ounces in a very secure, secure place in the world uh, because I, I believe that's vitally important because we live in an uncertain world politically, economically Geopolitically, uh, so the, 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 there is that risk there. Uh, in terms of uh, purely from an investment point of view, um, 
I don't know. I mean, for a long time, we were talking about the inflation adjusted high, uh, the CPI inflation adjusted high from the US, which is $2,500 per ounce. We were talking about that as long ago as 2003, 2004. Uh, I think now, uh, given what's happened in the world, and unfortunately how, how uh, macroeconomically and, and monetarily things have deteriorated, I do think that uh, recently people are beginning to look at the RPI, the retail price index in the States, and adjusting that for inflation to find the, the real record high from 1980. And if you do that, uh, you get a figure of $8,000 for ounce. So I do think that is, you know, if you're going to uh, look at price targets, I do think that is uh, quite a viable long-term price target. Uh, obviously, uh, along the way, there'll be huge volatility and, 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 and big moves up and big moves down. And for that reason, we would advise people uh, very much to, to have a, a buy and hold uh, strategy. And at this current moment in time, we would also recommend that you would consider dollar cost or, or pound cost averaging, whereby... It's very difficult to time it, and I think uh, right now it, we're having a bit of a dip, and it could represent a good buying opportunity. But you can actually buy, you know, say, right, well, I want to allocate five or ten percent of of my wealth into gold, or or twenty percent, or whatever the percentage is. You need to decide and do your research. But uh, once you've decided that, then say, right, well, how do I get up to that twenty percent? And a good way to do that is to buy uh, a little amount over a period of of uh, weeks or months and gradually amass a position. So that prevents the risk of buying near a short-term top. You know, but uh, I would be long term. Yeah, we would feel just given what's happened in the world, and as I said, the amount of money that's been created in the world, and it's economics can be made very complicated. With people, but the bottom line, of economics is supply and demand, and the more you create a ending, the less it will be worth in the long term. And there's a huge amount of, of dollars, pounds, and euros being created right now, and unfortunately, a lot more will be created in the coming weeks and months, uh, and possibly years. And, and that scenario, uh, gold, uh, gold, as I say, gold is likely to go much, much higher. But it, what's happening? is, again, the dollar and the euro and the pound and the Swiss franc are going, uh, losing their value in terms of gold and in terms of finite uh, assets such as gold and silver. All right. Well, great stuff, um, Mark. And why don't, uh, as we close, why don't you give out uh, your website address and uh, also tell people um, about the, the services that Goldcore offers and also tell us uh, how we can sign up for your blog. Yeah, great. Thanks a lot, Dominic. The website is goldcore.com. Uh, and on the homepage, you can sign up for our daily market update. It's, it's, it's free market update. Uh, it's, it's won awards, and uh, we're quoting the Reuters Precious Metals poll, and we're in the Bloomberg Gold Survey. So, and it's free because we do believe that uh, education is absolutely vital. Uh, the media rarely covers gold, and it is important people are informed about, uh, what, about what's happening in the marketplace. Uh, so that will help people uh, inform themselves. Uh, and what we do, basically, we're international bullion dealers. We've clients in over 50 countries, including a, a large amount of business comes from the UK. Um, and we offer coins, gold coins uh, and bars, silver coins and bars. Uh, we offer AAA rated government certificates from the Permit to Western Australia. And we offer allocated storage in throughout the world, in, in London, in, in Hong Kong, in Singapore. And uh, the favourite is, uh, amongst most investors today, is, is in Zurich. Um, and that is basically what we do. We're also wealth managers as well, and um, and, and, and basically we, we, what we advocate is global diversification, so owning uh, global equities, uh, global bonds, AA uh, plus and AAA, uh, and then having an allocation to gold. And I think if, if people are probably diversified, including having a healthy allocation to gold in the coming years, then you're protected for whatever macroeconomic scenario confronts us. All right, well, good stuff, Mark, and uh, thanks very much for talking to me, and, and do come on the show again soon. And uh, that's about it. The website is goldcore.com.
Dominicdomingo.com. Great stuff. Thank you very much, Dominic. Frisbee's Bulls and Bears is presented and produced by Dominic Frisbee. To discuss the markets and have your say, why not visit our forum at globaledgeinvestors.com. That's globaledgeinvestors.com. To join our mailing list so you can be updated as soon as a new show is posted, please email info at dominicfrisbee.net or simply subscribe through iTunes. 